The Old Testament reading is Exodus 20, verses 18 through 26. The New Testament reading is Hebrews 12, 18 through 29. We have moved on now from the Ten Commandments in our study of the book of Exodus. We were there for quite a while, but here we are uh, coming to other things. Exodus 20, verses 18 through 26. Here now the reading of God's most holy word. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me, and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones. For if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness be not exposed on it. Let us go now to Hebrews chapter 12 and read verses 18 through 29. Hebrews 12, 18. Here the writer of the book of Hebrews is speaking to Hebrew Christians and is reminding them of how superior the new covenant is to the old. And he says to them, For you have not come to what may be touched a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject Him who warns from heaven. At that time His voice shook the earth, but now He has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, the things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So far the reading of God's most holy word. May He add His blessing to the preaching of it this morning. 
We've been considering the Ten Commandments for many weeks now, and in our prolonged consideration of the Ten Commandments, it is possible that some have forgotten the redemptive historical and covenantal context in which these Ten Commandments were first given by God to Israel. We've had a very narrow focus on these Ten Commandments, and it's possible that we have forgotten the broader story, brothers and sisters, the story of the book of Exodus and even the story that preceded it. And so here I wish to say, do not forget the redemptive historical context. After Adam fell into sin and the whole human race with him, God promised to send a Savior who would arise from the seed of the woman, Genesis 3.15. In the course of time, one man was set apart through whom this Redeemer would come, namely Abraham. God promised that he would have many offspring and that they would possess the land of Canaan, become a great nation, and be a blessing to all the nations of the earth, ultimately through the Messiah who would come into the world through them. The children of Abraham would possess the land and become a great nation only after suffering bondage in Egypt for a time, and all of this was foretold. Here I am simply reminding you that the Exodus story is a continuation of that story, which is found in the book of Genesis. At just the right time, God sent Moses to rescue Israel from Egyptian bondage and to lead them toward the promised land. The Ten Commandments were given to Israel by God after He had redeemed them. And so one thing we must remember is that Israel was redeemed to worship. They were redeemed to be God's treasured possession on earth. They were redeemed to obey the Lord as God's chosen people until the Messiah was brought into the world through them to bless all nations. So do not forget about the redemptive historical context, brothers and sisters, and neither should you forget about the covenantal context. Here I am reminding you that when God spoke the Ten Commandments to Israel from Sinai, He was entering into a covenant with them. When God enters into covenants with man, He establishes how the relationship between them will work. He is establishing a relationship with man. He sets the terms of the relationship. He announces the rewards for obedience and the punishments for disobedience. As you know, God made a covenant with all humanity through Adam in the garden before sin entered the world. Adam broke that covenant and all humanity was plunged into sin and misery as a result. But God, by His grace, did also make a covenant with Abraham and his descendants. And here in Exodus chapters 19 through 24, we see God transacting a covenant with Israel. This covenant, which is commonly called the Mosaic Covenant, is an outgrowth or development of the Abrahamic covenant that was made earlier in history. Both are the result of God's graciousness and His promise to provide a Redeemer. Both are covenants of works, substantially. Men must keep these covenants. Uh, These covenants can be broken. And both the Abrahamic and Mosaic covenants carry within them the promise of the gospel concerning salvation for the nations through the seed of the woman which was first announced in the days of Adam after his fall into sin. All of this has been said before, and that's why I'm speaking so rapidly concerning these things. Here I'm simply reminding you of the covenantal context of the Ten Commandments. When God spoke the Ten Commandments to Israel from Sinai, He was entering into a covenant with them. We cannot miss this. 
In fact, if we wish to understand the rest of the Old Testament, we must, we must not miss this covenantal context of Exodus chapters 19 through 24. God was entering into a special covenantal relationship with the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham. So please allow me to give you an overview of how God made this covenant with Israel. The covenant was introduced in Exodus chapter 19 as Israel stood at the base of Sinai and as Moses went up into the presence of God. The Ten Commandments of Exodus 20 verses 1 through 17 serve as the foundation for all of the other laws of this covenant. For this reason, they were spoken directly by God and they were spoken first. Notice this, God Himself spoke the Ten Commandments from Sinai and these laws were spoken first. They were most fundamental to the laws of this covenant. After this, in Exodus 20 verses 18 through 21, Moses is firmly established as the mediator of this covenant. In 20, 22 through 26, we find preliminary laws concerning worship. In 21, 1 through 23, 9, God gives preliminary laws for Israel as a society. Some civil laws are established for Israel there at Sinai. In 23, 10 through 19, we find laws concerning worship, especially as it pertains to festival days. In 23, 20 through 33, God renews His promise to Israel concerning the conquest of Canaan. And finally, in chapter 24 of the book of Exodus, the covenant, which we typically call the Mosaic Covenant, is confirmed. The whole section, therefore, from Exodus chapter 19 through to the end of Exodus chapter 24, is like a wedding ceremony. Israel is here entering into a special relationship with Yahweh. The terms of this covenant are being established, and at the end of it, the people of Israel say, in brief, I do. The covenant is confirmed. So we must remember this. Here God is entering into a covenantal relationship with this particular people for a particular purpose, for a particular time. Again, I say if we wish to understand the rest of the Old Testament, we have to understand this portion of Scripture right here, Exodus chapter 19 through to the end of Exodus chapter 24. Here we are witnessing the making of a covenant. Today, we will be considering only Exodus 20, verses 18 through 26. And here we see Israel's reaction to the giving of the Ten Commandments by God from Sinai. And also we see God's gracious response to them. How did Israel respond to the giving of the Ten Commandments at Sinai? They heard His voice. They saw the sights of His glory. How did they respond? First of all, notice that they were afraid. They trembled. They stood afar off. This is significant. Israel heard the Ten Commandments uttered by the voice of God. They saw the sights of the glory of God descending upon Sinai. What did they do? They were afraid. They trembled. They stood afar off. Verse 18, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood afar off. You must use your imaginations here, brothers and sisters, and try to picture this. This was a terrifying sight for the people of Israel to behold and what they heard also terrified them. We should say this is to be expected. This is how sinful men and women respond when they encounter God 
who is radiant in holiness and awesome in power. This is how sinful men and women respond when they are confronted with God's moral law, when they see God's holiness, when they come to see their sin in light of God's purity. When sinful men and women encounter God, when they perceive His glory and hear the power of His voice, they are filled with fear and they tremble. This is consistent throughout the Scriptures. This is how sinful men and women respond when they encounter the Holy One. In fact, this passage here reminds me of how Adam and Eve responded to the presence of God after they had rebelled against Him. When God drew near to them in the garden after they ate the forbidden tree, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. That is Genesis 3.8. They were afraid. This fear that Adam and Eve felt was not a part of their natural condition. Before sin entered the world, Adam and Eve had reverence for God, but they were not afraid of Him. They enjoyed sweet communion with God in the garden before sin entered into the world. God walking in the midst of them was a pleasant thing. It was a beautiful thing. But when they sinned, they were alienated from God. Sin alienates man from God. Sin breaks the sweetness of the relationship between man and God. When sinful men and women come into the presence of God Almighty, they tremble with fear and they retreat. This is due to the awesome power and holiness of God contrasted with the smallness and sinfulness of man. Brothers and sisters, indeed I say friends, we stand guilty before God if not in Christ. We stand guilty before God, if not in Christ. We deserve to be judged by Him. And who can possibly stand before the Almighty One, the Creator and Judge of heaven and earth? I asked you a bit ago to use your imaginations to picture what it must have been like to stand at the base of Mount Sinai, to watch that mountain consumed by thick darkness, to see the the lightning, to hear the thunder, and to hear the power of God's voice. The people were terrified. Now, Imagine what it will be like to stand before God Almighty on Judgment Day when there is no more room given for repentance, when there is no more room given for the forgiveness of sins, where the time has come for all men to be judged. Indeed, we are to compare the two things, Israel before God at Sinai and the last day when the last trumpet sounds and God in Christ comes to judge all nations. God revealed His glory to Israel as He spoke to them at Sinai. What did the people of Israel see? Thick darkness, a thick dark cloud, lightning, fire, and smoke. Now please do not misunderstand. God is a most pure spirit. He is not cloud, lightning, fire, or smoke. He manifested Himself in this way to show forth His power and glory so that Israel might develop a proper fear of Him. And what did Israel hear? They heard the sound of a trumpet, were to imagine a ram's horn, which announced God's presence. And they heard the voice of God, which was said to be like thunder. And what did God say? He spoke the Ten Commandments to them. He gave them the moral law. Now, why did the people of Israel tremble? Certainly the sights and sounds of the glory of God at Sinai must have been overwhelming to them. But the writer of the book of Hebrews helps us to understand that there was something else going on here. 
we read the passage just a moment ago in Hebrews 12, 18 and following, we are reminded that when Israel stood before God at Mount Sinai, they saw a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. Clearly, the writer of the book of Hebrews is alluding to this passage that we are now considering in the book of Exodus. But listen to what the writer of the book of Hebrews says next. For they could not endure the order that was given. And then we have a quotation. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. The writer to the Hebrews tells us why the people trembled. It was not just the sights and the sounds. They could not endure the order that was given. Therefore, they trembled. They could not endure the order that was given, the writer to the Hebrews says. To to understand what is meant by this, we must remember that God was entering into a covenant with Israel. In Exodus chapter 19, God spoke to Israel through Moses. He introduced the covenant there saying, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Did you hear the order that is given here beginning in Exodus chapter 19? The covenant is being introduced. God speaks to Israel and says, here's the deal. You saw what I did to the Egyptians. I've redeemed you. I've rescued you. I've set you apart. You're going to be a holy nation before me. And I'm calling you, God says, to obey my voice, to keep my covenant. You're going to be a treasured possession for me amongst all the peoples of the earth. God introduced the covenantal relationship in Exodus chapter 19 in this way. And after this, all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. That is Exodus 19.8. Do you see the, the establishment of this covenantal relationship in Exodus 19? And then we come to Exodus chapter 20, and we see that God then spoke the Ten Commandments to Israel from Sinai. The Lord appeared to Israel in glory and spoke His law to them. He gave the moral law to them. And then they trembled with fear. They trembled with fear because they realized they could not endure the order that was given. They could not keep God's law, but had already violated it in thought, word, and deed. Do you see the progression here? Do you understand the story that's being told? Do you see the terms of this old Mosaic covenant? Keep my law and be blessed. Break my law and be cursed is the order that was given in brief. And the people after hearing the voice of God and hearing the moral law communicated to them from Sinai, they trembled with fear and they retreated from the presence of God. Please understand this about the old Mosaic covenant, brothers and sisters. It could not save. It could not save. It only brought condemnation. It it did other things too. It set Israel apart from the nations for a time so that the Messiah would be brought into the world uh, through them, yes. But as it pertains to salvation, as it pertains to the forgiveness of sins and life everlasting, the old Mosaic covenant could not save. It only brought condemnation. Now, when I say this, I do not mean that those who lived under the old Mosaic covenant could not be saved. I do not mean that. No, I mean that they could not be saved from their sins and made right with God through the old Mosaic covenant. Do you see the difference? Could men and women be saved before Christ came? 
Could men and women be saved before the new covenant? Could they be saved as they lived there under the old Mosaic covenant? Of course they could. There were many who, who were saved, who were forgiven from their sins, and, and many we will see in heaven who lived in that era. Of course this is true, but how were they saved? Not through the order that was given in the days of Moses. They were not saved through the old Mosaic covenant, but rather they were saved by believing in the promises of God that were given to them, the same promises that were announced first in the presence of Adam and Eve and the curse of the serpent, the same promises that were entrusted to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, the same promises that were enshrined within the old Mosaic covenant and pictured forth there in such vivid ways. Those who were saved under this old Mosaic order were saved not by virtue of the old Mosaic covenant, but by virtue of the new covenant. And the mediator of the new covenant, Christ the Lord. They were saved by believing in the promises that pointed forward to Him, you see. All who have ever been saved have been saved through faith in Christ. They've been saved by virtue of the new covenant, which is the covenant of grace. We must keep this ever in mind. And here I am saying that as we consider this passage today, we see it illustrated. What did the order that was given to Israel in the days of Moses produce? Fear trembling, retreat. It could not bring sinners near to God and cleanse their conscience. It did not have that capability. What did the terms of the old Mosaic covenant cause Israel to do? Again, they were afraid, they trembled, they stood afar off. And after this, they begged for a mediator. They begged for a mediator. Verse 19, they said to Moses, "'You speak to us and we will listen.'" But do not let God speak to us lest we die. You, you could almost hear the, the trembling in their voice, the urgency of this request. Listen, we're done with this God speaking directly to us thing. Uh, no more of this. We need a go-between. We need a mediator. You talk to God and you deliver His word to us. Do not let God speak to us anymore lest we die, lest we be consumed by Him. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. Again, the people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So a mediator was requested. A mediator is a person who stands between two other parties. A mediator is a go-between. If you have a conflict with another person, a mediator can help to reconcile you. You talk to the mediator... And the mediator talks to the other person on your behalf and vice versa. Here we see that the people of Israel asked Moses to be a mediator between them and God. They could not endure the glory of His presence or the power of His voice. Again, Israel spoke to Moses saying, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Again I say to you, the old Mosaic covenant did not provide for the forgiveness of sins, It did not clear the conscience of the people. It could not lead them, therefore, into the presence of God Almighty in a real, true, and spiritual way. Some who lived under that covenant drew near to God really and truly, but please understand this, they drew near to God really and truly, not through the old Mosaic covenant, but through faith in the promises of God, which looked forward to the new covenant and the shed blood of Christ, the mediator of that covenant. Clearly, 
You can see that Moses was the mediator of this covenant that God entered into with Israel at Sinai. It was through Moses that God redeemed Israel. And it was through Moses that God spoke to Israel and led them in the way. God spoke the Ten Commandments directly to Israel at Sinai, and they begged that no further word be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given to them. The people of Israel spoke to Moses, saying, You speak to us, and we will listen. Do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses comforted them with these words, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. And I think the meaning of this is something like this. Do, do not fear. This is not judgment day. I think that is how Moses comforted them. Do not fear. In other words, this is not judgment day. It must have felt like judgment day to the people of Israel. Imagine it. There they are, the base of Mount Sinai. The moral law has been declared. The glory of God descends upon Sinai and he comes in thick darkness. There is a thick dark cloud and lightning and thunder. And there is the sound of what? They hear the sound of a trumpet. They hear the voice of God like thunder too. But there is a sound, the sound of a trumpet. It must have felt like judgment day to the people of Israel. Again I say the sound of the trumpet announced God's coming. His voice was like thunder. Thick darkness, lightning, fire and smoke was all around. Moral law was declared, and all of Israel knew they stood guilty before this holy and awesome God. They must have felt as if God was preparing to judge them. And so they begged for a mediator. And again, the mediator comforted them with these words, Do not fear, for God has come to test you. He's not come to judge you. He's come to test you so that you might fear Him, so that you might go on from here living in obedience to Him. This is not the end, in other words, but the beginning of something. God Almighty had set Israel apart to be His holy possession of all the peoples of the earth. They were to worship and serve God on earth. God's presence would be manifest in the midst of them, later in the tabernacle and then the temple. There would be a holy nation. In them, in them, the kingdom of God on earth would be manifest. It was crucial, therefore, for Israel to begin with a healthy and reverent fear of the Lord. So the Lord tested them at Sinai. He tried them as metal is tried in the fire. If God was to be their covenant God, and if Israel was to be His covenant people, then they needed to understand how awesome and holy this God was, and what it is that their sins deserved. Israel knew that they could not stand before Yahweh, and so they asked for a mediator, and so the people stood afar off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Moses mediated between God and heaven, and Israel on earth. From this point onward, God would speak to Israel through Moses. God has a lot more to say to Israel, but He would speak to Israel through the mediation of Moses. And Israel was invited to approach God through Moses and through the laws for worship that were revealed to them from heaven. So please do not miss this point. Through Moses' mediation... Israel was able to approach God on earth, but not in heaven. Do you understand this? This old Mosaic covenant was an earthly covenant. Moses mediated between God who is in heaven and the people who lived on earth. This earthly covenant did provide for 
a way for the people of Israel to approach God in an earthly way. But it did not bring them into the presence of God in a heavenly, spiritual, and eternal way. It did not clear the conscience. If you wish to hear all about this, read the book of Hebrews carefully. That is the whole point that the author of the book of Hebrews is making as he contrasts the Old Covenant and the New. He is saying to New Covenant Christians who are Jews, ethnically speaking, he is saying to them, the New is so much superior to the Old, why would you go back to the Old? So he compares and contrasts them and he speaks of the way that the Old Covenant, it was good, it functioned in a very important way for a time. It was an earthly covenant. There were ways of worship prescribed. Yes, people were to offer up sacrifices at the temple and purification was provided for them in an earthly way. But the writer to the Hebrews emphasizes this, those animal sacrifices and that temple worship, they did not provide for the the cleansing of the conscience. They did not bring people into the presence of God who is in heaven, but rather His manifestation on earth. The new covenant is far superior, for in Christ we have really and truly the forgiveness of sins. Through Christ we can come boldly into the presence of God who is in heaven, the holy of holies, the heavenly Jerusalem, etc. The writer to the Hebrews makes this point so clear. Here we must see that this is the case early on in the book of Exodus The people of Israel were not brought near to God as this order was established. They trembled with fear and they retreated. They requested a mediator. And Moses was that mediator, but he was not the Messiah who would bring God's people into the presence of God Almighty really and truly and in an eternal way. Christ takes us all the way home, in other words. Moses did not. Christ takes us all the way home. In Christ we have the forgiveness of sins. Through Christ we are reconciled to the Father. In Christ we have adoption as sons. These spiritual, heavenly, and eternal benefits come to all who have faith in Christ. This was true of those who trusted in Him before He was born into the world through the promises that were made. And it is true for all who trust in Him now that He has come. It is true that Moses was the mediator of the Old Covenant, but note this, Moses was not the Messiah. He was not the Savior. He was not the Son, but a faithful servant in God's house. This is not to demean Moses, nor is this to demean the covenant he mediated. Moses was good, and he was a faithful servant in God's house. The covenant that he mediated had a different purpose than to provide eternal salvation. Its purpose was not to provide eternal salvation and the forgiveness of sins. No, under the old covenant, Israel was set apart as holy on earth. The kingdom of God was prefigured on earth and sins were magnified on earth until the promised Messiah would come into the world through them to make real atonement for sins and to reconcile the elect to God the Father really and truly for all eternity. If you need an illustration of this, and if I could only pick one, I would ask you to consider the Old Covenant Temple. Worshippers were invited to draw near to God through the blood of animals which could cleanse them in an earthly way. The people of Israel would be made pure in an earthly way 
so as to approach God in that earthly temple. But their consciences were not cleared, you see. The writer to the Hebrews says this, these, the blood of bulls and goats was unable to cleanse the conscience. It was unable to really take away sin. Animal blood cannot take away human sin, you see. So the purification received through animal sacrifice in that earthly temple was an earthly kind of purification. Could not clear the conscience. And the construction of the temple itself communicated this reality. We are to remember that the Holy of Holies, where the glory of God was manifest, was closed off to Israel. We must see this. The Holy of Holies, where the presence of God, the glory of God was manifest on earth. It was closed off to the people of Israel. Only the high priest would go in once a year and not without blood. What was the message communicated by this earthly temple and its construction, therefore? It was this. The way to God had not yet been opened up. The way to God into His presence, really and truly for all eternity, was not yet opened up. It was not yet opened up. And certainly it was not opened up by this covenant, that is the Mosaic covenant. But what happened to the curtain that divided the holy place from the holy of holies when Christ breathed His last? What happened to that curtain? It was torn in two from top to bottom as if God Himself did it. God did do it. And it being torn in two from top to bottom made it clear that God did do it. What, what is communicated there? The way into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God Almighty, has now been opened up. Not through Moses, the mediator of the Old Covenant, but through Christ, the mediator of the New Covenant. This is why I say to you, Christ takes us all the way home. Christ is the one who reconciles us to the Father, who really and truly cleanses us from our sins so that we might come into the presence of God for all eternity. The old Mosaic covenant could not take us there because the order that was given could not be endured by man or kept by man. Christ takes us there. He takes us there through His shed blood and by virtue of the covenant of which He is mediator, the new covenant, the covenant of grace. I want you to see all of this clearly as we continue on in our study of the book of Exodus so that we might not confuse, be confused concerning what is going on here in the history of redemption. It is not the old covenant but the new that saves us from our sins and reconciles us to God the Father. It is not Moses but Christ who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When Israel saw the glory of God, the holiness of God, and the reality of their own sin and guilt through the declaration of the moral law, they knew they needed a mediator. They knew they needed one. They could not stand before God Almighty in their sins. They knew they needed a mediator, a go-between, someone who would work reconciliation on their behalf. The one true mediator between God and man was not given to them on that day. Moses was a mediator, but not the mediator. But he was present with them in the form of type and in the form of promise. When I say that the mediator was present with Israel on that day in the form of type, I am saying that Moses was a type of the one to come. Moses was a type of of Christ, the mediator of the new covenant. Moses was a go-between between man and God on earth in a typological way. 
He did not take them all the way home, but he did function as a type of the one who was to come. Who is the anti-type? Who is the one who was to come? Christ Jesus the Lord, the Messiah of Israel. And when I say that the mediator was with them present in the form of promise, I mean that the people of Israel in that day had all of the precious and very great promises that had been delivered beforehand to Adam, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. They had those promises with them, and those promises would be maintained by them, kept, and even made more vivid through the types and shadows of the old Mosaic Covenant. So they had Christ present with them in the form of type, also in the form of promise. If Israel was to be saved from their sins and reconciled to God really and truly, they were to trust not in Moses, but in the Messiah to whom Moses and the Old Covenant pointed. Not only did Israel need a mediator because of their sin, they also needed a way to draw near to God and worship on earth. After all, this should have been their response. Having been redeemed from Egypt, having been led by God in the wilderness, and having beheld the glory of the Lord on Sinai, uh, their impulse should have been to worship. Worship is the proper response to revelation and redemption. Again, God had redeemed Israel and He had revealed Himself to them, what then should their response be except to worship? And so here in our passage today, God gives them preliminary instructions for worship. Verse 22, And the Lord said to Moses, Thus shall you say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves what, that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. You, you, you might think to yourself, Didn't God... Just go over this with the people of Israel in the Ten Commandments. Uh, the second commandment forbids idolatry. But here, idolatry is forbidden again. I continue. An altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen in every place where I cause my name to be remembered. I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones. For if you wield your tool on it, you profane it, and you shall not go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness be not exposed on it. I think this is a very interesting passage. Again, we should understand that Israel's response should have been worship, and so it is not surprising that we find instructions for worship here. I have called these preliminary instructions for worship because, as you probably know, soon God will instruct Israel to construct a tabernacle and later a temple for worship. In fact, a great portion of the book of Exodus has to do with instructions for the construction of a tabernacle. So why these instructions here concerning altars that Israel was to worship on? I've called these preliminary instructions for worship because it seems as if the Lord is saying, your impulse should be to worship me now, given redemption and given revelation. And here is how you are to worship me now until that day when the tabernacle and later temple is constructed. God's people had worshipped at altars from the time that sin entered the world. Adam and Eve and their children knew how to offer sacrifices to God. The patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, worshipped at altars. And here Israel is instructed to do the same. 
When they approached God in worship, they were to bring a sacrifice of animal blood. Animal blood could not take away human sin, but it did serve to remind the worship of their sin and of the wages of sin, namely death. It also reminded the worshiper that God had promised to provide a Savior who would crush the serpent's head and whose heel would be bloodied in the process. So all of this animal sacrifice that took place from the days of Adam until the days of Moses, and from the days of Moses till the days of Christ, uh, these animal sacrifices could not truly cleanse uh, the worshiper from sin, but functioned to remind the worshiper of the reality of sin, of the consequences of sin, and the promises of God concerning a coming Redeemer. And so the people of God were to worship in this way, at altars and by offering up animal sacrifices before the Lord. Israel, like those who lived before them, was to worship not with idols, but on simple altars made of earth and uncut stone. This was to be their practice until the temple, or the tabernacle rather, was constructed. In other words, Israel was to worship Yahweh, not according to the customs of the nations around them, but according to the commandment of God. Their impulse should have been to worship, but what did they know? Uh, These Israelites were raised in Egypt. It's all they knew. The the life in Egypt there and the way the Egyptians worshipped. They also probably knew something of the customs of the cultures around them concerning worship. God says, you are to worship me, but in this way, specific instructions are given. When we consider the instructions that were given for the construction of the tabernacle, we will see that many more specific instructions were given to Israel. Yahweh is to be worshipped... This is true. The first commandment establishes this. Yahweh is to be worshipped, not with idols, and in the way that He prescribes. Even here, these preliminary instructions given for worship uh, tell us that God is to be worshipped in the way He prescribes. The Lord reminds them here not to worship with idols. Uh, We will need to remember this when we come to the episode of the golden calf in Exodus 32. Here I'm trusting that you know something of the Exodus story. So here the covenant is being made with Israel. God has been very clear with them. Yahweh alone is to be worshipped, not with idols. And in case you missed it, Israel, not with idols, not with images of silver, not with images of gold, but on simple Altars where animal sacrifices are offered up to Yahweh. Images are not to be made with Him. All of these instructions have been given. Moses goes up on the mountain. He receives the instructions for the building of the tabernacle along with other uh, laws. He comes down and what does he hear except Israel in, in, in turmoil. Israel partying as it were. And he comes down to find the people worshiping God having constructed for themselves a golden calf. So we must remember this passage when we come to that episode in Exodus 32. Not only had God forbidden idolatry in the second commandment, He reminded them of this prohibition here while giving positive and preliminary instructions for the worship of His name. But the people of Israel would soon rebel, choosing to worship according to the customs of the nations around them rather than according to the command of God. This covenant that God made with Israel was to be kept by them and it had barely been made when they broke it. This covenant could not save. But it did serve 
to, among other things, remind and magnify the people of God of their sin and of their need for a Redeemer. Why did the Lord command Israel to construct simple altars made of earth and uncut stone? Undoubtedly, this was to guard against idolatry. Where was Israel's focus to be when worshiping? Not on their creativity and craftsmanship, but on God who is in heaven. Now, some may object to this saying, but the tabernacle and later temple were elaborate. They were very elaborate. Yes, they were elaborate, but they were constructed not according to the creativity of man, but by divine revelation. Do you see the difference? The tabernacle and later temple were constructed with great skill. They were elaborate, but it was not the creativity of man that produced those beautiful structures. It was divine revelation that did it. God said to Moses and to Israel through Moses, this is how you shall make this tabernacle. Also, we might notice this, certainly we will when the time comes. The design of the tabernacle was to remind the worshiper not of their own creativity, but of God who created heavens and earth. The whole structure of the tabernacle was to remind the worshiper of of the heavens and the earth which God had made. Their approach to God who is in heaven uh, was pictured in this way. They approached the God in heaven uh, through as they lived on the earth that He has made. And, And so I say that the tabernacle would not have been a distraction but a help to the people of God in their worship. And what is the meaning of this prohibition And you shall not go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness be not exposed on it. Uh, Ritual nakedness was common in the worship of the pagan nations. And so here Yahweh forbids it. He forbids it. The people of Israel were to be modest as they approached the Lord in their worship. They were to not go up on steps and we will later see that the priests were to be adequately clothed. They were to even wear undergarments as they ministered before the Lord. So again, the people would have been tempted to worship as the nations did. But God's people were to worship in the way that God has prescribed. I've already said that Christ was prefigured in the mediation of Moses. Moses the mediator anticipated Christ the mediator. Now I will say that Christ was prefigured in the animal sacrifices of the Old Covenant too. Those animal sacrifices cleansed the worshiper on earth, but they could not cleanse the conscience of the worshiper before God, Only the blood of Christ, the God-man, could do that. And these sacrifices of old pointed forward to Him. This is the point that the writer of Hebrews makes so beautifully in chapter 10 of his sermon. In 10.4 he says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And then after arguing for the superiority of Christ and the new covenant, he says, Therefore, brothers, since we have the confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh, etc., He then implores us to do so with reverence. Do you see the point that the writer to the Hebrews is making? Uh, The blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. They could not bring us all the way home into the presence of God Almighty, really and truly and for all eternity. But the blood of Jesus did it. The blood of Jesus has truly taken away sin so that all who trust in Him might come into the presence of God Almighty now and for all eternity because our consciences have been cleansed by this blood. Please allow me now to bring this sermon to a conclusion with just a few suggestions for application. One, uh, 
Consider the wisdom of God in bringing salvation to all the nations of the earth through Israel. Consider the wisdom of God in bringing salvation to all the nations of the earth through Israel. You said, I thought these were going to be suggestions for application, Pastor. I thought you were going to suggest uh, that we do something practical based upon what has been taught here, and yet you have said, consider. You use the word consider, and I am going to say to you, brothers and sisters, this is a proper and valid application of the truth of Holy Scripture. Sometimes the thing for us to do is to consider these marvelous truths. We must contemplate them, brothers and sisters. We must think deeply about these things. You know, I've preached today um, a sermon where I'm seeking to open your minds to um, the, the nature of the Old Covenant and to contrast it with the nature of the new. It's rather technical. It's rather heady. Is it not a little bit heady? It's about understanding these things. Did you know the, the letter to the Hebrews is thought to, be, thought to have been a sermon? A, a sermon originally? Uh, if you read it carefully, you'll see that it's written as a sermon. A sermon may be common in, in the early church. What is the, 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 the letter to the Hebrews doing except urging the people of God early in the church to contemplate the Old Covenant, and to contrast it with the New, to see how much greater the New Covenant is, to see how much more precious the blood of Christ is than the blood of bulls and goats. And here I am saying something similar to you. Brothers and sisters, consider or contemplate the wisdom of God in bringing salvation to all the nations of the earth through Israel. His plan for redemption is truly marvelous to consider. He promised to send a Savior in the days of Adam. He set one man, Abraham, Aside and promised to make a great nation of him and to bless the nations through his offspring. He redeemed the children of Abraham from Egyptian bondage and entered into a special covenant with them, a covenant that set them apart as holy, that magnified sin and vividly held forth the promises of the gospel through faith in the Messiah. And I've said enough about all of that already. Here I am exhorting you to contemplate the wisdom of God and His plan of redemption. Christ, the Savior of the world, did not appear out of the blue, but in fulfillment to many promises, prophecies, types, and shadows. The old Mosaic covenant was particularly beautiful in this regard. Christ was vividly pictured in the Mosaic covenant. And we are beginning to see that even here in the passage that is before us today. Moses, the mediator of the old covenant, was a type of Christ who is the mediator of the new. Moses mediated between God and man in a typological and earthly way. Christ mediated between God and man really and truly. Through Christ we have the forgiveness of sins, a cleared conscience, and true reconciliation. Again I say Christ brings us all the way home by the sacrifice of Himself in obedience to the eternal covenant. And here I am asking you to contemplate this deeply so that your love for Christ might grow stronger and stronger. The writer to the Hebrews wrote as he did and spoke as he did to them because they were being tempted to turn back from the faith, to go back to the old covenant, to abandon the new. And here the writer to the Hebrews is saying to them, why would you contemplate how marvelous this plan of redemption is and the accomplishment of it and cling to Christ even more tightly? Two, I do urge you, brothers and sisters, to fear the Lord to fear the Lord 
And by this I mean two different things for two different groups of people. I should not have said brothers and sisters. Perhaps I should have said friends. Friends, I urge you to fear the Lord. And by this I mean two different things for two different groups of people. To those not in Christ I say, fear the Lord and tremble just as Israel did. When Israel saw the glory of God, considered His holiness and heard the moral law by which all men will be judged at the end of time, they feared, they trembled, they stood afar off, and they begged for a mediator. And I'm saying if you are not in Christ, if you are in your sins, this should be your response too. You have reason to fear the Lord. For on the last day He will come with the sound of trumpet to judge all peoples in righteousness and holiness. What Israel experienced at Sinai was a type of that. It was a type of judgment day. The sound of the trumpet was present. And I am saying that one day Christ will return with the sound of a trumpet and He will come to judge all people in righteousness and holiness. None will stand before Him unless they are found in Christ, the Messiah, the only mediator between God and man. So I say to those not in Christ, fear the Lord and take refuge in Christ, the mediator, to be shielded from the wrath of God that is to come. And to those who are in Christ, I say, you must fear the Lord too, but not quite in the same way. Fear the Lord, knowing what it is that your sins deserve. Fear the Lord, that is to say, have a deep reverence for Him. But do not fear Him as you would a judge. For if you are in Christ, God is not your judge. He is your Father in heaven. Fathers should be respected and feared by their children, but not in the same way that guilty criminals fear a righteous judge. Do you see the difference? Judges condemn Fathers lovingly lead, they provide, they discipline. As the proverb says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it is also the fear of the Lord which does drive us to faith in Christ, the only mediator between God and man. Those in Christ must maintain this fear of the Lord, but it is a different kind of fear, is it not? It is not the kind of fear that causes us to run away and to say, I don't want to be in God's presence, don't let Him speak to me anymore. It's not that kind of fear. It's the kind of fear that causes us to draw near to God in Christ with reverence and in love. Three, having been delivered from the domain of darkness and having beheld the glory of God Almighty, having acknowledged our sin and having run to Christ the mediator for refuge, we must also be compelled to worship the Lord. And may we worship and serve the Lord in the way He has prescribed. You will notice that God is to be worshipped, and He does always reveal the way of worship. There was a way to worship from Adam to Moses. There was a way to worship from Moses to Christ. And there is a way to worship in these last days, from Christ to the consummation of all things. Brothers and sisters, we are not free to decide how God is to be worshipped, but we are to submit to His Word in this. God is to be worshipped always through faith and obedience, but He is especially to be worshipped by His people as they assemble Lord's Day after Lord's Day to pray, to hear God's Word read and explained, to sing and to observe the Supper. All of this is to be done to the glory of God through faith in Christ. Let us bow for a word of prayer. Our Father in Heaven, do help us to fear You 
If we are in Christ, may we fear you as our Father who is in heaven. May we tremble before you with holy reverence, but not run away from you. May we run to you, for you have provided Christ, the mediator between God and man. Increase our love for you. Increase our love for him, O Lord. Cause us to walk faithfully with you in this world. Israel was called to walk faithfully before you. We have been called to do something even greater, because this new covenant is greater. So help us, O Lord to worship you and to serve you well in this world. We pray it in Christ's name and all of God's people say, Amen.